What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, and as always, super excited to be joined by Sabrina Merchant, who covers all things basketball and other stuff for SB Nation. If you don't follow her on Twitter, remember that immediately. Just a great mix of analysis. Um, sometimes these like really biting jokes that I really like to see. Uh, follow her on Twitter though, at Sabrina JM. That's at S A B R E E N A. Sabrina, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing very well. Thank you for having me back on, Dan. Um, hey, thank you for coming on. I think this is your third time. So it, I think it's officially your fault that you're here. If you say yes twice, like I'm willing <laughs> to be like, all right, I, I hoodwinked them into it. But now that you're back a third time, um, I think th- this appearance is on you. So, but I really do appreciate you coming back to let me pick your brain as always. I just love talking the offseason, you know, and we're officially in it. Day one of the NBA offseason. <laughs> the Bucks are champions. I don't. Did you have any lasting impressions after that game six, that finals in general? Or are you still lamenting the fact that it wasn't, you know, LeBron versus KD? <laughs> you know, I, I never knew that Giannis had this in him. I after watching the last couple of postseasons, I thought there were limitations in his game and, you know, still limitations in his game. But for him to be the best player on a title team, like that's that's such a rare feat to accomplish. There are like three guys in the league who you can definitively say can be the best player on a title team. And now he's one of them. So that's just super, super cool. I had so much fun watching him celebrate. Like what a delight Giannis Antetokounmpo is. And I'm just glad that he got to have this moment because it was so much fun to watch him and just like a very enjoyable finals. It was, I've covered the league full time since I think 2011, maybe 2012. I'm getting old, but... <laughs> That might have been the most enjoyable finals I've covered. 2016 is definitely up there, but just like it were these two teams that I don't think the Bucs were like in that conversation entering the season, but even people who were super high on the Suns never envisioned them getting there. And I know stuff happened um, en route to the finals, but stuff happened for every team when you're looking at injuries. So I thought that was so cool. And then just, it was, I was disappointed we didn't get a game seven because that's how much I love the finals, but I'm with you on all the Giannis stuff, especially the part about, I'm sure we would have enjoyed seeing Chris Paul celebrate a title and Devin Booker and all that, but I would have enjoyed Chris Paul a lot less. I'm here to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Giannis just like flexing about not joining a super team um, would like to point out. He still has like two really good number two and three options on his team. So it's not like he won with scrubs. (laughs) Right. Uh, What an awkward plane ride as this gets released. Devin Booker might be on a plane with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday to to Tokyo. Um, good luck to them. I hope they stay healthy, but that's going to be an awkward, what is that? 12, 14 hour flight. I'm, him, I'm just like from. calling Robert Sarver, like get me on a first class flight, some other way to get to Tokyo. I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that, that has to be so awkward 48 hours yeah. or whatever it is after. Um, I did not, I did, I guess I did tangentially. Here's the segue. I did bring you on to talk about potentially two super teams, um, not the bucks or the Suns. In the Lakers and the Clippers, you do a fantastic job covering both as well as just the general NBA at large. But they are, I find every team fascinating heading into the postseason, but I think naturally they were always going to be interesting. I'll begin with the Clippers. I feel like they've become a lot more interesting for all the wrong reasons. Um, The Kawhi partially torn right ACL injury is just an absolute bummer. Uh, How does that, how, and Kawhi is going back to the Clippers. Like that was just never in doubt, like all the steps he took to get there, but does his injury change 
in your view, their, their off season approach at all. And the one thing I'll say, and I think this might be a subset of warriors. Twitter was talking about how they should maybe trade the Clippers should trade Paul George load up on prospects and then like put themselves in a position to do stuff. When Kawhi comes back, you just, I'm going to table that you don't own your first round pick next year. So there's no point in having a gap season. So, but I'm just curious, like, what do you do now though? Like if you even think, if you think he's going to play at some point next season, you just lost one of the five best players in the league for, I presume most of next year. Like, what do you do now? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the pick because I think that's a big part of it. You know, the, the Clippers do not control their own draft destiny for the next five years. That is in the hands of the Oklahoma city thunder. Is that it? Courtesy of the Paul George trade. (laughs) Well, you know, that, that pesky little Stephian role means you get, you get saved a little bit, but yeah, I mean, the, the Warriors thing is so funny because I'm sure they were all advocating trading Draymond Green and Stephen Curry while they waited for Clay Thompson to get healthy, right? Like, that's exactly what you do when your stars are hurt. Um, I guess Draymond Green is the more apt comparison in this case. But, you know, the, the Clippers were pretty good in the playoffs after Kawhi got out. I mean, I don't think that they were at the level that they hoped to be, obviously, because when you lose a top five player in basketball, it's hard to be at that level. But they got to a place that they'd never gotten in franchise history of getting to the conference finals winning those final two games, like on the backs of Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson filling in for Kawhi Leonard, which was just stupid fun. Like just a tremendously good time watching Terrence Mann have this first 20 point playoff quarter in Clippers franchise history. Like who had the money on that? (laughs) I think that the Clippers plans are going to be the same. I think they're still going to try to run this back, win a title with this very same group. Uh, You know, the problem is, is that, like they have more intel about Kawhi's injury than we do, right? Like we know that it's a partially torn right ACL. There's the Spencer Dinwiddie timeline, right? Where it takes six to seven months to come back. And I think that he had said that he had planned to return for the NBA finals were the Nets in it. So like that would have given him about a seven month timeline from when he originally hurt his knee at the start of the season. But then like, I keep reading that ACL reconstruction surgery is the same, regardless of whether it's partially torn or fully torn. And so in that case, that puts Kawhi back at like more of a 12 month timeline. And even then guys don't really get their full lift back for another two years after ACL surgery. And for a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who already has this degenerative quad stuff going on in his right leg and had a foot injury earlier, like it's just very scary to think about what he's ever going to look like again, because in theory, he'd be what 32 years old by the time that two year timeline is over. And 32 year old Kawhi Leonard is, is not the guy who I associate with being a top five player on a championship team. So a lot of this is in flux because we just have no idea what, when or what or the version of Kawhi that we're getting back, right? So I think that the Clippers just have to play it as if they're going to win, though, because, again, they don't have the pick. They have no flexibility going forward. I mean, they could draft, like, a, a young, high upside guy with the 25th pick in this year's draft, but, like, but what are we hoping to get out of that? You know, even Giannis is taking 15th. <laughs> like, yeah, you find like, <laughs> gems later in the draft, but uh, not not that low. So I I just think that there are no other options, right? Like Paul George is under contract for four more years. Yeah. But like, do you want to do the, the route of like trading him for three more picks just to like refill your coffers? It's not even like you're loading up your draft assets. You're just, you're so depleted at this point that trading Paul George would at the very most get you back to even, which Mm -hmm. even is not the place you want to be if you're going to be tanking. And then if you're tanking, like, what is, what does that make for Reggie Jackson and Nick Batum and Marcus Morris and all these other guys? So they, they put themselves in position to win two years ago, right? They made all of the, they traded all the picks for Paul George. They traded an additional pick for Marcus Morris. So they, they set themselves on this path to be all in. They kind of have to do it 
right? There's just no other way of going about it. Like Ty Lue is not here to coach a rebuilding team. Ask Cleveland. Ty Lue is not here to coach a rebuilding team. So I just, I don't see any other path. Like it just, it has to be done this way. I don't, I couldn't even come up with an argument against anything you just said. There's just like, there's no other thing for them to do. It's probably good that they ended up signing Paul George that extension last year, because all of a sudden I wonder if his free agency would have gotten interesting this summer. Had he looked at, Oh, Kawhi is gone basically all of next season. Mm -hmm. And I'd read the same stuff you did. I thought partially torn ACL recovery time's got to be shorter, but then it's like he underwent surgery anyway. So a lot of the stuff that I read said the timeline is basically the same. It's also Kawhi, as you mentioned with the other stuff, I'm assuming even if he didn't have, they weren't worried about the quad. They're just, it's Kawhi. You're going to treat him with kid gloves early on. So you look at, I think the first steps for them, because it's actually kind of difficult in at least two instances, looking at their own talent in free agency, where I didn't think I'd be talking to you or anyone this offseason about, they really need to bring back Nick Batum and, and Reggie Jackson. And by the way, one of my favorite Clippers stats, and it makes sense when you consider the context of the Clippers season, but Nick Batum led them in total regular season minutes played. That's just also something that was never, you could have predicted. Um, do you think among their own free agents, and we're looking at, I would say mainly Nick Batum, Reggie Jackson, and Serge Ibaka, if he even reaches free agency, I'm, I'm curious to what you think he'll do with the player option following the back injury. Uh, what do you expect to happen? Do you figure, do you think they figure out a way to keep all those guys? Do you think one of Batum and Jackson leave just given the, the bird right situation on them? My guess is that Reggie Jackson is going to come back because they can offer him about 10 upwards of $10 million for that starting salary with the early bird rights. And I know that, you know, he's, he just played for a minimum. Like the previous contract was like something in the range of five years, 80. So I, I don't know what the market is set on for Reggie Jackson, but I think like at age 31 playing with his best friend, Paul George in Los Angeles, playing for a team that clearly values him has brought out the best in him. I think that 10 million number is going to be fine. You know, I don't think it's going to, I don't think some other team is going to bull Reggie Jackson over with an offer that he can't say no to like, do the New York Knicks want to throw out 20 million at Reggie Jackson to be their point guard of the future? Like, I don't think so. I mean, I could be wrong. Like the New York Knicks do crazy things all the time, but I just don't see the money coming for Reggie from another team. That's going to like make him say, Oh, I have to say no to the Clippers because like it's, it's good enough money. You know, like it's not, it's not ridiculous. Like they're not giving him a minimum again. Right. The Batum thing is a little more interesting because he's got, you know, that final year of his Charlotte contract still coming in, right? Like he was making 27 million that last year of the Charlotte deal. Uh, so he's, he's kind of, you know, sitting on borrowed money here, right? Like he doesn't need to be cashing in a new contract, but at the same time you want to be playing for your worth, right? Like if the more that you say that you're a minimum player, the more that the league values you as a minimum player, right? It's really hard to go from a minimum contract back into the, even like the mid-level range. Right. So that's the only thing that's tricky about Batum is like how much more does he, him, does he see himself playing to the point where like he needs to be a mid-level guy or, you know, just anything more than a minimum guy, because like, I, I don't know how much you really do want to pay him. Like, like you said, he did lead the Clippers in regular season minutes this year, which is just a crazy fact. I, I learned it actually just last week when I was like setting up the player season re- reviews at SB Nation. I was like, Oh, that's super weird that Nick Batum was leading the lead, <laughs> leading the team in minutes. But like the Clippers just don't work without him, right? Like he played small ball center. He started the season at power four. He just fills in every single slot there. He guarded the best perimeter player for most stretches during the regular season. Uh, he was d- defending Rudy Gobert during the playoffs. Like it's, it's just a lot that was asked of him. I don't expect that he would uh, have a similar regular season role next season, just because like he's of a certain age, you know, it's, it's probably of the time that Nick Batum is 
not leading your team in regular season minutes. Like that shouldn't be happening for a guy who's this far into his NBA career. I think the Clippers are going to have to just dip into that mid-level to bring him back. I don't really see a way around it. The problem is, and I know you plan on getting this later, it's just I think they need another wing to build out the rotation. And like, how are you going to get that other wing unless you have your mid-level to attract that guy, right? So like I've, I've heard rumors of like, you know, the Warriors not bringing Kelly Oubre back, but like if Kelly Oubre wants to ring chase somewhere else, it's going to take at least a mini mid-level to get him, right? You can't just get him for a minimum. I don't think that's a reasonable situation. Like even if you wanted to go after let's say the Pelicans like just blow it all up and let Josh Hart hit unrestricted free agency. Like that's another mini mid-level guy. So I, it's going to be a really fascinating negotiation to see how low they can get Batum. Like, can they just give him like a 120% raise on that minimum that he earned last year? Because they just need to keep that mid-level intact to do something because like you, like we talked about earlier, they have to go for it. And this roster as presently constructed needs more juice to go for it. So where is that coming from? Yeah. And I, if push came to shove, just because of everything you mentioned about Nick Batum and even knowing that I don't think that you could count on him to replicate everything he just did. If it costs you most of the mini mid level to bring him back, I, if I'm the Clippers, I'm probably, we have to bring him back. Uh, and you know, maybe you're just hoping that Terrence Mann then ends up playing a, a bigger role. And I think what's also tough too, is you mentioned they could go try and go bargain hunting in free agency. But like, if you do use your best spending tool in the summer on just retaining your own talent, um, you're not even open to like, you're just so far into the tax at this point, you can't even acquire someone via sign and trade. And so you would have to then take like a bigger swing on the trade market. And that's just tough to do because they have the depleted asset pool. Like, yeah, you can trade this year's pick after you take it. And you have some of those Detroit seconds and you do have some like matchable money, but I don't know if, do you think the Kawhi injury makes it more or less likely that they would be open to taking a bigger swing on the trade market? That's a good question. Um, I think that whatever trade they make is probably not going to be something that makes them worse in the present, right? Like if they were going to make a trade, like a big swing to further deplete their asset pool and get better, like I have to think that they would do that even if Kawhi were healthy, right? Like they traded two seconds away to acquire Rajon Rondo, right? Like it's not like they weren't doing anything with their assets last year. So I, I just keep coming back to Luke Kennard in my head. Like he is such a swing piece in all of this because he's that matching salary that you would need if you were to acquire like a player of a reasonable price, right? He's entering year one of this extension that I think the cap hit is 16 million a year, but I don't really know how the matching works because a lot of it's incentives. And I think the base salary is like 12 million, but whatever. Like the point is that Luke Kennard is a movable salary if the Clippers decide that he's not worth having around. But at the same time, like they gave him that extension for a reason. It wasn't just so that they can move him. You don't give a guy for your extension just to turn into a, right. a trade piece, right? Like they think that he's going to be a part of the team going forward. Can he take some of that ball handling responsibility? Can he be some of that shooting and playmaking that the Clippers are going to need without this is stupid to say that Luke Kennard is going to replace Kawhi Leonard's production, but like they have voids in their offense now that Luke Kennard is going to have to fill. So I, I do think that like, that's really the swing piece is he's the only guy that the Clippers can move who theoretically has value going forward. Cause he's still fairly young. He's only 24 years old. Um, he's shown the ability to play in the playoffs, right? Like the, the Suns didn't abuse him by any means. It just was a hard series to play him because the Suns are really good. And like, that's just, to be expected for a guy who's playing in essentially his first postseason, because I don't count an eight seed playing against the Cavaliers as like a real postseason experience. Apologies to all Pistons fans, but that's, that's sort of where I see it coming is like, 
that the only big move they can make is if they decide that like Luke is no longer a part of the future, because other than that, like, I don't see them trading Terrence Mann. It's just, they've, they've struck gold with him. Like, how could you possibly move in? And he doesn't right. make any money. So like, how is that going to get you anything in the trade market? And then beyond that, it's like, well, Zubach, I guess, makes some money. Um, and Patrick Beverly has an expiring salary, but like, what's the value of Patrick Beverly on the open market at this point? He's going to be suspended the first game of the season because he's two-handed shove Chris Paul. Like he's constantly hurt. I mean, we didn't talk about Reggie Jackson as a starting point guard for the Clippers last year, but he, he basically was, he started 40 games last year because Patrick was always hurt. So I just don't see where the value like to trade anything is going to come from their team. So they could make a big swing, but like, I don't think the Kawhi injury affects that at all because like we said, they're, they're just all in regardless. I would, I would wonder if Patrick Beverly is something more valuable to them too, just because of the load he's going to have to carry by default without like a Kawhi Leonard there every night. He did have some good moments in the playoffs. And I think the other thing is you definitely don't move Terrence Mann. If you were going to make a trade, you're probably in a situation where it's a, a not an undesirable player where, where he's not undesirable. Like I think people mentioned Kemba Walker. Um, I thought that was a good idea. And then I realized why would the Thunder want to help out the Clippers in any way when they own the rights to their pick next season? So unless they think that Kemba Walker is just like, doesn't have cartilage anymore or something in his knees, I don't know why they make that move, but then you're looking at like, yeah, if you can just step ladder your way with your salaries to a Russell Westbrook. Okay, fine. But I don't really know how much that would actually help you. And so it really does hamstring you from doing anything big on the trade market. Again, unless you're going to enter the sweepstakes for a player that teams might just be looking for cap relief from. Um, did you give any thought to like any like free agents, like cheap ones, or even just like under the radar trade targets that you thought would be a good fit for this team? Or even just, I know you mentioned that they need a wing. Is there like the, what are just the biggest areas of needs that you think they need to fill if they want to actualize the best version of their non Kawhi selves uh, next year? Right. So I think that the, the best version of the Clippers is when they're playing small, right. And they're opening the floor and just switching everything and beating you with their pace and blow eyes and just making the floor really spaced out, uh, which is like what we saw them do when Terrence Mann came into the lineup for Kawhi Leonard, right? Like that's just how they beat Utah. It's how they occasionally played against the Suns because I still quibble with the defensive decisions they made in that series. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. They weren't going to win a title without Kawhi Leonard anyway. So I, the problem is, is like, again, we talked about this before. Whatever wings are on the market, if the Clippers are using their money to bring back Nick Batum, like, which I think is probably the right choice because I don't think that anybody who's better than Nick Batum is going to be had for that level of money. Like, what are they going to do? Like they just offer minimums to guys. Like we've saw how this went last decade with the Clippers. Like, yeah, come one, come all your Paul Pierce's, your Lance Stevenson's, your Wes Johnson's like, is that what level of bargain bin hunting the Clippers are going to be doing? Or do they really have an ability to get something better? Like I, I mentioned Josh Hart earlier, if the Pelicans decide to blow things up there, he's restricted for agent. I imagine the, that they're going to bring him back. Like, the, the gettable guy there appears to be Lonzo, not Josh Hart. And Lonzo is definitely not in the money situation that the Clippers have here, although I think he'd be a nice fit. Um, I mean, are we talking about like, I don't even know, like... Uh, Do we bring back up Sterling Brown? People were frustrated at that trade idea last time you were on the podcast that I, that I threw at you. That's they right, that's right. They the, thought it was so Sterling boring. Sterling Brown, DeLon Wright stuff. Uh, um <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I don't see who it is. Like Reggie Bullock is going to be a free agent. He was a Clipper once before. You know, he was even drafted by them in the first round. But like, he's going to demand more money. Uh, talking like David Nawaba types. I I just don't see yeah. what 
what's happening here. Like I, I love David Nwaba, but I, I don't know. And the Clippers are far more greater than I am. Obviously their, their front office finds things, but like, I think that's the player they're going to target. That's probably someone they should just draft, but like maybe Amir coffee plays more, maybe Jay scrub plays more next year. But like, I, I don't really see it on the free agent market for a minimum. Like it just, it, I have this, like, again, like this West Johnson PTSD. It's just like this guy's. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that Serge Ibaka is going to end up opting in? And if he opts out, do you think the Clippers want to bring him back when I think you had just mentioned their best identity is playing small? Yeah, well, Ibaka is kind of interesting because he does space the floor, right? Like he can shoot. So he's not a traditional big in the same sense that like um, Zubac is. I don't know that he can switch defensively like he used to, right? I, I think the defensive reputation of Serge Ibaka kind of outpaces where he is talent-wise at this point. Um, and for good reason, like he was he was damn good in Oklahoma City. So it's, it's fair for that reputation to still follow him, even though I, I don't think he's that same defensive player anymore. But the Ibaka thing is very interesting because he could be super cavalier about this and just opt out and be like, what are you going to do, Clifford? It's like, you have to pay me. <laughs> um, but then at the same time, like he's coming off of back surgery. And do you really want to risk the Clippers playing chicken with you? Because I, I do think that the Clippers would play, ch- play chicken with him. So the most likely option to me is that he just opts in because he's getting paid a fair amount of money. And like that's that's backup center money. And I think we're at the point where Ivica Zubac is going to be starting for the team during the regular season just to save Ibaka from himself really at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of injury there. I imagine he's just gonna come back. Um, they're gonna manage his minutes as carefully as possible so they're not in the situation again and hope for the best with his back, which is really just a scary situation. I think he said he had a right. pinched nerve during the regular season and that's just ugh, super painful to think about. So it sounds like we should really just expect the Clippers to look mostly the same with moves made on the margins, which given their cap and asset situation pretty much makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I'm going to say that the most changes that the Clippers make this offseason are going to happen on their bench with their coaches as opposed to their actual Ooh. roster. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've already lost three from what I understand. Uh, Chauncey and Roy Rogers are both going to Portland and then Kenny Atkinson is going to Golden State. So oh, I kind I of even compute player development. With- I didn't compute the Roy Rogers one. I, I thought it was two. My God, three. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of coaches to lose. Yeah, I mean, they. we talked all year about, like, the player development for the Clippers, like, how important it was for, um, you know, Terrence Mann, obviously, Coffey, um, even Paul George, like, becoming a playmaker was something that wasn't really part of his bag earlier. So uh, Kenny Atkinson was basically the guy in charge of that. So I'm interested to see how they replace what he brought to the staff. Terrence Mann. What are what do we make of him following the postseason? I mean, he was just a delight to watch. And are you expecting them to still kind of like is he going to be in as prominent a role in the regular season next year? Given that Kawhi definitely isn't going to be able to start the year. Is there anything you're hoping to see him add to his game? Um, I know he did on offense, like was very dangerous off the ball, but like he has some real off the dribble juice to him. I'm not saying that we should make Terrence Mann a primary initiator for the Clippers. But if Kawhi's going to be out and you're not going to make any substantive additions, like can we maybe plumb the depths of Terrence Mann's offensive game a little bit more? Or do you think they're still going to kind of want to shoehorn him into that specialty role? No, I, I think he's going to be the starting small forward or whatever you want to call him for the Clippers. Like he and Paul George will be the two wings starting, um, depending on how the rest of the lineup works out. I, my, my best guess is like it's going to be Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris in the center. Like that's seems to be the most likely option for how the Clippers are going to start the season. Um, but yeah, like I, 
I love watching Terrence Mann play. Every time he just like faces up a guy, crosses over and swashes a jumper in his face, I am shocked. I still can't believe that that is a part of what he can do just based on how he came out of college. Like he was not a shooter. And for him to have all of this, like you said, juice on the ball and like just this creativity and he's always moving and cutting into the lane. And like, he's got these super weird hook shots that come out of his hands. Like he's, there's a lot of flair to his game, which is super fun. He's tremendously confident, um, except for, you know, a couple of times when like he was just not hitting the corner three and then decided, okay, well, I'm just going to like take it to the rack on Rudy Gobert instead. But uh, <laughs> like, how, how can you not love watching this kid play? I, I do think that they're just going to expand him as much as possible. Like, I don't think they want him to pigeonhole into any one thing. Like he has already gotten so much better at the shooting. And I do think that they're going to try to um, encourage that playmaking aspect of him too, because as much as like, he has grown as a shooter. He's still not a guy that guys are going to defend, you know, if he's spacing the floor, right. He's not Reggie Jackson. He's not Marcus Morris. He's not somebody who you just trust to like dead eye knockdown shots. So putting the ball in his hands, I think makes a lot more sense because one, it saves Paul from having to do all that. And um, PG's handle still concerns me, but you know, it's just, if you put the ball in Terrence's hands and like, it just creates so much space around him. So I, I think that's like the most exciting thing about the Clippers next season, which is probably not what you want to be saying about a team that has championship aspirations, but the Terrence man, like growth curve, just monumental at this point. I know he's up for an extension with the Clippers because he signed a three-year deal out of the draft. I don't really know what that would look like. I, I don't quite understand the cap machinations. Like, is he eligible for the same like Taylor Horton Tucker type extension, or is it like a, a lower number? I, I don't really know, but he's, He's just like the most fun player on the Clippers night. I don't think that's like a, a controversial statement. Maybe, maybe Reggie Jackson for like the diehards, but uh, I, I do think they're going to be putting the ball in his hands a lot. What I'm looking forward to is his defensive improvement because he was low-key hunted when, uh, you know, opposing teams like went against those Clippers small lineups and he's got to get just better and more disciplined at defending on the ball because he gets a little too foul happy, a little too jumpy. So that's really where I'm looking for the improvement from man. Uh is there, I would, first of all, watching Terrence Mann should count as a form of cardio because he is just, <laughs> is, is an all over place and he's pure joy. Is there anything, I know we skipped around here, but is there anything about this team I didn't ask that you think really needs to be um, touched upon leading into their off season? Um, no, I think we, you talked about the point guard thing with Reggie and Patrick Beverly. Um, that, that's the one thing where I do think Patrick Beverly, they're going to they're gonna be shopping him because of that expiring contract. And it's just the only way to really get any flexibility. Um, yeah, you know, just uh, another day of talking about the Clippers without mentioning Vita Subaj, who's just solidly the most consistent player on the team and does everything you could possibly ask of him. But that's such as life. St <laughs> still viewed as like some sort of a liability, which is just amazing crazy. to me. Crazy to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know why you would move him unless it's part of, unless you're hitting a home run trade, like just the value he brings, that's your starting center at sub $8 million a year. Like that, you're just not replicating that. And he's, when you look at his size and just like his, like the width or girth, whatever you want to call it. Like he's a lot quicker than other dudes that are built like him. And so I don't know why you would move off of him again, unless it's we're about to hit like this home run, or there's this really like irrational opportunity for us on the trade market. It's crazy to me how many Clippers fans want to start DeMarcus cousins over him. Like it's, it's mind boggling to me. Um, but Hey, cousins is flashy in a way that Zubach is not. And such as life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to ask you some questions about the Lakers who are 
they're just by virtue of having LeBron and AD, they were always going to have a fascinating off season. But I'm wondering if after these playoffs, you see Anthony Davis banged up, not as usual in the playoffs, um, mostly because he hasn't, doesn't really have a ton of playoff experience when you look back um, prior to Los Angeles, but he's banged up. LeBron is banged up, which is definitely new. And then you remember, Oh yeah, that was his age 36 season. Maybe this is not, you don't want to say a regular occurrence, but you know, your future kind of flashes before your eyes there without LeBron having to deal with that. Do you think the circumstances under which they lost this year increased the urgency for them to find, I'm going to call it a third creator because I, I do not believe that they have the ammo to get a third star in there. I know Chris Paul's name is already being floated after the sun's lost. I just Russell don't Westbrook. see, yeah, I just don't see a path. I mean, I guess you have the salaries. If the wizards decide to blow it up to get Russell Westbrook, I just, if they get a third star, I will be flabbergasted. So let's say a third creator. Do you think it increases the urgency or was this just like, it was always going to be the urgency or am I overreacting where it's like they did come off the shortest off season in sports history. Now you've given LeBron a regular off season to heal up and he's just going to come back and dominate as per usual. And that'll be fine. Yeah. It's interesting because there's a couple ways that you can look at the Lakers season on one hand, they are up to one up double digits in game four against the Suns before Anthony Davis gets hurt. And it feels like they've sort of figured out this opponent, right? Like they looked very comfortable against Phoenix. Uh, they were just manhandling them with their size in a way that we saw Milwaukee do in the finals. So you can look at it that way and be like, oh, healthy Anthony Davis. They definitely get out of that round. They fare very well against Denver. And then you put them against the Clippers. We'll see what happens. But on the other hand, like they were the seventh seed. And yeah, LeBron was hurt for a stretch of the season. Anthony Davis was hurt for a stretch of the season. But for, for all of their gifts, like their, their supporting cast was just not nearly as good enough, not nearly good enough for what they were hoping to be, right? Like Dennis Schroeder was not the third ball handler that they were hoping him to be. And whether that was because he may or may not have gotten COVID at the end of the season, Lord knows how Dennis tried to explain that. Um, let's just say that the Lakers were not thrilled with his decision-making on or off the court. And uh, <laughs> that might be a reason to not want Schroeder around for another year. But yeah, I think like that was their big ticket move, right? It was getting Schroeder. It was getting a guy who they hoped was going to inject some bounce like in the half court uh, playoff of LeBron and Anthony Davis. And for the first half of the season, like before Valentine's Day, when Anthony Davis gets hurt, I think that there was a reasonable argument that like, yeah, hey, the Lakers did the right thing. This starting lineup with Schroeder and Marcus Gasol is going bananas. Like it's really, really good. And this is everything they'd hoped for. And then obviously the, the wheels fall off and, you know, they fall into the seventh seed and blah, blah, blah. But so that's the, the problem I have with the Lakers season is that depending on which part you want to focus on, like you have an argument in favor of whichever direction in the offseason you want to pursue. You have an argument for, hey, let's run it back because this team was working when they were healthy or, hey, maybe it's a problem that all of our best guys are over 30 and gimpy and maybe aren't relied upon to stay healthy for an entire postseason. Like they were starting Marcus all. I, I don't think that his health is something that we should overlook either because the guy just plays all year round, right? He's in the Olympics right now. Um, right. I, I don't know how much we can trust him to be like fully ready to go for another 82 game season. So it's, it's just very tricky because like, what, what is the real version of the Lakers? Which one should we be looking at? And like, I, I think they had the same sort of questions after the 2020 season, even when they won the, the finals, it was like, well, did we have to go through all the best teams? No. So maybe we still have to improve. And for them to have that proactive of an approach after winning the championship makes me think that, oh, hey, losing in the first round as a seven seed, they're going to blow some shit up. So <laughs> I do think that like, yeah, they're going to try to get a third playmaker. Um, 
I, I don't think that the Russell Westbrook smoke is anything to discount by any means. LA guy, uh, Rob Winka loves star hunting. You know, Chris Paul is obviously a lot more challenging to acquire just because of the number. And, um, why would Phoenix do that really is my question. <laughs> uh, so that, I mean, you mentioned Kemba Walker with the, the Clippers earlier. I think Kemba Walker is another name you might think about with the Lakers just because they need another greater and his value is a little bit depressed, right? Um, the earlier you go after him from OKC, I think the better. But yeah, uh, I, I don't expect Schroeder to be back with the Lakers. I do expect them to heavily shop this KCP, Kuzma, maybe not KCP, but like this THT, Kuzma, Schroeder, 2022 pick or whatever. They're going to set like the that. record for the number of sign and trades they're sending out in one trade. In one trade. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned this with Luke Kennard earlier. Like you don't sign, like Kuzma was signed to a two-year extension. That is a contract that is builds to be traded. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just don't, I mean, they can get there, but it's just like for the, I'm looking at the Russell Westbrook and let's even just say you're trading for CP3 on his option number. So like they're both 40 in the 44 million range. And so you're, unless you're signing and trading Dennis Schroeder, like it's KCP, I guess you would need Harold to opt in and mm-hmm. then Kuzma. Like that's the way that you get there. And I'm not even sure. Like I just, are those packages that interest the teams that would be sending out Russ or Chris Paul in those instances? I honestly don't know. And yeah, you could include other stuff. And you mentioned, I guess the possibility of a THT trade. It's just a lot of just machinations to go through, but I do kind of agree with you that I think I, I actually expect them to complete like some well, either they're going to get one of those like older pricey point guards, or maybe they they figure out a way to do the one I pointed to that I thought would be fascinating. I know the shooting's not a great fit, but like a sign and trade for Spencer Dinwiddie um, involving Kyle Kuzma, who I think could actually help the Nets. But they need they need the help because in LeBron, the past two years, their half court offense has ranked in the 25th percentile and 19th percentile, respectively, of efficiency with LeBron off the court. And I know that's sort of like a harbinger of LeBron teams it's a lot more damning when LeBron is entering his age 37 season. Yeah. I mean, there, there's like a, if you're the Lakers brass and you're watching the finals and you're looking at Milwaukee, just junk up the game and play really physical defense and win the math advantage by getting to the foul line more and living in the paint and just getting more shot attempts. Like that's the prototype of a LeBron James, Anthony Davis team. It's not like this beautiful game that the Suns are running. We can't do that with the Lakers. Like that's just not going to happen. So the fact that a team like Milwaukee is so successful with this old school, like just again, terrible half court offense, but really good in transition type of game. I think that gives you a little bit of comfort in your approach going forward. Like you can still do this bully ball thing. Like it wasn't just a fluke of the bubble. I think that there is a legitimate reason to believe that that can work even in this small ball era. So like I, that's why I, I think that that Russell Westbrook thing is something to think about just because, yeah, he can't shoot, but I mean, he gets into the pain. He uh, gets you extra possessions. Like there's something to be said for that. If he's willing to, you know, rein in his defensive tendencies or whatever. Um, the the pipe dream I keep hearing about from Lakers Twitter is like, Oh, what if Zach Levine decides he wants out of Chicago? Like, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that I don't be perfect? Know. <laughs> I don't know if Kuzma in a first round pick in 2027 is getting that. You know, that Chicago's own Taylor Horton Tucker is really what you're going for. With <laughs> that one. Uh, I did see the Damian Lillard sweepstakes linked to the Lakers where it's like, it would depend on how interested the Blazers are in Taylor Horton Tucker. And I was like, do they view really, THT as like eight first do. rounders? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that was a great point about the Bucks. I think what if they they might have emboldened the Lakers, but it also kind of proves like you do need at least the set because Milwaukee's second and third best players are both guys capable of 
handling the offense in Giannis's absence. And they're both arguably running more of the offense in crunch time than Giannis anyway. So if you're the Lakers, you need, you have that sort of prototype in Anthony Davis. You need the second creator aside from LeBron James. So I think feel confident. And then I will never doubt LeBron James, but just age 37 season scares me. Like the, the high ankle stuff plus the playoffs. I'm just like, there needs to be somebody else there. Like we were, we were scared at age 34 LeBron. So, I mean, that's, that's the fact that three years <laughs> later, uh, you get the sense that it's like yeah. the, one of the shoes has to drop at some point. Like this can't, like this can't go on forever. Can it? And I hope it does, but I get increasingly yeah. wary each and every off season about it. Yeah. And which is why they tried to, you know, um, get Schroeder and give him an additional ball handler. So he wasn't running everything in the half court and that didn't quite work out. I don't think THT is ready to assume that responsibility. Alex Caruso for all of his gifts is not that ball handler for the Lakers. Like it's just, it's not his game. So they, they got to do something. I mean, I, I think the Dinwiddie thing is probably the most likely just because there's so much noise about him coming to LA and like, he's just perennially unhappy with the nets, but like, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's got to come from somewhere. But like you said, I, I, I fully expect some big move to happen here. They do have a ton of free agents. So I'm wondering if you can quickly join me for a round of keep or nah with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the first and most important one, Andre Drummond. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, I do think that, that the Lakers are going to look into reacquiring JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard this offseason. Uh, that's Olympian. JaVale McGee. I'm sorry. I, I knew it immediately as I said it. Team USA's own JaVale McGee. I apologize. <laughs> so Dennis Schroeder, and I think you've kind of already touched upon this. Uh, that people have talked about a lot how he kind of has them in the bird rights trap. And he does, but like, does he really? Because it might be more valuable for them to have the room under the apron than signing Dennis Schroeder anyth- for anything close to the $84 million that he turned down already. Right. And I think the, the bird rights trap also works when you can leverage another offer from somewhere else. And what did point. Dennis Schroeder do during this season to say like, Hey, someone else come sign me. I'm clearly not a starting point guard. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, so if you're the Lakers, are you looking at more, do you view it as an obligation as you have to bring him back? Or do you think that this team might just be better off letting him walk? I think that sign and trade him. I don't think they're going to resign him just to stay. Town Horton Tucker. Yeah, they, they got to keep him, but just he's, For the, he's the only asset you can throw him around. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's also just, his game is so like herky jerky and his, the way his body moves doesn't make sense. And I absolutely love it. And he like kind of started hitting some jumpers like towards later in the season. So that you're flinched at that. So like, that's yeah. like not something, <laughs> but I no, think Horton Tucker's three point percentage was under 30% for the whole season. So if he was hitting jumpers for any consistent stretch, Think about how bad the rest of the year must have been. He's so young, though. So, like, maybe that was him turning a corner. But he also has the same physical measurements as Brianna Stewart. So I have hope. (laughs) There you go. I mean, look, that's 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 um, that's what you're touting first and foremost in trade talks with anyone you're trying to acquire. Alex Caruso is super interesting. And what I will say like with THT and Caruso, I would view them as guys that ideally you would want to bring back in most situations. But I also think those are guys that other teams are really going to like. And so like, you do have the ability to keep them. It's, do you want to pay these guys like over the, the longer term? And I know that THT is capped and what he can get, obviously, but, but still, as you mentioned, how many minutes is he going to play? And can he actually even shoot 30% from, from three point range? Yeah. Caruso is, is the scariest one to me because number one, he's the most beloved 
by Lakers fans, right? Uh, along Naturally. With, <laughs> along with KCP and Kuzma, he's the longest tenured Laker, um, whether you see it that way or not, because technically the first two years were spent on a two-way, but whatever, he's the longest tenured Laker along with those two guys. Long live the 2017 Summer League Lakers champions. But uh, he is the one, like you said, who I think is going to get offers from other teams, right? Like I've heard Cleveland would be interested in him as a defensive guard to pay with their other guys. I've heard that um, Atlanta kind of makes some sense because, I mean, Ooh. you can actually play Caruso next to Trey Young. I think that works pretty well and then just, you know, move – Herder or Bogdanovich or whatever to three, and you've just got some super interesting lineups to work with there. So there's a fit for Caruso a lot of places who could use him right now, which is what would worry me if I were the Lakers front office because he is going to get offers from elsewhere. Um, I know even like Golden State tried to poach him the last time he was a free agent, but he decided to stay with the Lakers. So you just got to hope that you've built up enough equity with the guy uh, to keep him around. And the thing I always come back to is like, there is not a single teammate that LeBron James has played with in his entire career who he has a better net rating with than Alex Caruso. Like it's like, oh, wow. Board. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that. Um, so you just got to keep the guy around because he, he amplifies your best player. And what is the point of everyone else on the Lakers, if not to amplify LeBron James. So if he wants like 12 to 15 million, 12 to 15 million a year, like you just got to give it to him because he's that good around your best player. Also, he brings social media impressions, which that has to factor <laughs> Free in. Free Caruso. Well. <laughs> Montrez Harrell, I don't even think you need to say, like, I don't think he should be back. I didn't think they should have signed him in the first place. And I actually thought it probably turned out worse than it, it should have, or maybe many people expected. Do you think he winds up opting in, opting out? And do you think it matters? Is he just gone from this team either way? It's kind of crazy. I, I don't know if he's going to opt out because – like this wasn't a good season for him in terms of increasing his like market value, right? He didn't, he didn't prove that he could play in the playoffs. I mean, he didn't really have an opportunity to prove that frankly for a lot of it for whether that was the right decision or not. Um, he's obviously said some things about the Lakers, you know, during the off season. So is Drummond. I think if we're to rank those Drummond's probably rank worse than Montrezl Harrell's, but um, I mean, as long as we're talking sign and trades, like, or not sign and trades, but like would Charlotte be interested in, taking Montrezl Harrell, like if the Lakers could somehow swing Devontae Graham out of it, um, that's something maybe to look into, but yeah, this, this is like a, this is a no, I, I, I would, I would hope that he opts in because I think that gives the Lakers more freedom in terms of their trading possibilities just because yeah. of that salary. Uh, but I don't think he's starting next season on the Lakers. It's funny, as we're recording this, just another, a second report that the Lakers could trade for Russ following the initial report that they could trade for Russ or CP3. Uh, well, bottom of the Russ's wife follows AD and LeBron James on Instagram, as Skip Bayless likes to point out. <laughs> Real journalism matters, is basically the moral of that story. It does, yeah. Uh, the final two I have, bottom of the barrel here, but Wes Matthews and Marquise Morris. Good questions. Um Wes Matthews was like this really interesting, uh, you know, sort of sentimental signing for the Lakers last year because his dad had played for the Lakers and they had this strange relationship and it sort of meant something to him to be in the same uniform. And like, he's got these baby pictures of his dad carrying him like at the great Western forum. So suffice to say it didn't quite work out that well. <laughs> um, but I do think that we talked about this with the, the Clippers, right? There just aren't any wings who are going to come play with you on a minimum. So if Wes is willing to play for that, I think he got the BAE last year. So like if on a similar salary, if he's willing to come back just on that number, you just do it, you know, cause like 
it's a perfectly fine use of a roster spot. And then I've already forgotten the last name. Who was Marcus? All sorry. No, you didn't say Mark. Mark's not a free agent. Marky sorry. Morris. Like, yeah. Marky Morris. Marquee. Yeah. Okay. Um, if there's a roster spot available, I guess I don't know. Like Steve Ballmer is subsidizing him to play like for Los Angeles, right? Isn't that the joke? The running joke. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if he likes living in LA, you know, around his brother and around his family, I, I don't think he was like particularly good last year for the Lakers. I think that playoff run that he had was a little overblown. Um, which obviously is the reason why they brought him back. But like when you get to these end of the bench guys, like I don't, right. it is what it is. Yeah. Unless it's Jared Dudley, of course. Unless it's Jared, who you did not mention on your free agent list. <laughs> I just assumed he wouldn't be a priority, but maybe he will be. He's, he's locker think, room glue. I think Jared Dudley is a higher priority than Marquise Morris, honestly. Fair enough. I feel like Marquise is going to either, if he doesn't sign with the Lakers, he's going to end up signing with the Clippers. So he'll, he'll still be on LA one way or the other. We, we had kind of, oh, and I agree with you on West. And they also, in theory, I know he wasn't this guy this past year. They need wings who can both defend and shoot. And he's at least, in theory, one of those guys, even though the shooting was very much all over the place for him. Yeah, I, I do have to make a correction. LeBron and AD follow Russ's wife, not the opposite. So, my bad. <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll forgive you on that one. We appreciate <laughs> you relaying such hard-hitting and important news and context anyway. Um, so we've already talked about what the Lakers might do with their sign and trade targets. Do you think it's because I think it would be easier in theory to acquire a Kemba or a Russ, because it feels like there's a higher chance those teams, there's a scenario where those teams just want to get off their money. Um, but it feels like it might make more sense to go after like a medium price guy. That's probably more in demand like a Spencer Dinwiddie, or maybe even an Evan Fournier, like depending on what Boston's thinking. So do you think the Lakers are going to wind up, what would be more likely in your estimation that they wind up with a Russ or a Kemba or that they end up with a, a Dinwiddie type, type guy. That's an actual free agent in a sign and trade. Who's going to have more of a, of a market. I just keep thinking about that Kyle Lowry trade from trade deadline. Um, if the I still Lakers can't believe they, gotten that done. <laughs> I can't believe they turned that down. I know people thought that the Raptors asking price was like through the moon for that. Um, I was just like, if they were going to take that, why wasn't this deal done? I was like, yeah, you're trading, you're starting like, like two of your guards, I guess, but like it, mm-hmm. it's Kyle freaking Lowry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a super weird hypothetical to think about, but yeah, uh, assuming Kyle Lowry is not available on the sign and trade market, which I, I don't he, think is going to happen now. He could technically um, be if he really wants to go to yeah, the Lakers, I guess. <laughs> I mean, if we if they didn't want Dennis Schroeder, then I, I don't think his value has really gone up since. Um, but yeah, I think the Lakers are going to swing big. Like that's just their MO, right? Like they could have probably tried to do something a little more manageable at the trade deadline and no, they went for Kyle freaking Lowry. So uh, they didn't go for George Hill or something like that. Right. So this is the Lakers. This is Rob Linka. He likes flashy guys. I would think that a bigger name, even if they're not nearly like necessarily as effective as a more middle of the road name is probably where the Lakers are going to go. A couple questions left before I get you out of here. Uh, is Kyle Kuzma like somehow underrated now outside of those Kuzma and a pick for Damian Lillard, like conspiracy theorists? <sighs> is Kyle Kuzma underrated now is that what we said underappreciated for what he does on the court i could do it without his social media presence if we're, if we're really throwing it all on the table i could i, could I, mean, do I just that wish we sure. could do without the, the hair dyeing constantly it just i feel like the, the blonde coos jokes have gone a little a little too much and 
I, I really do think he plays worse when he's blonde, but um, you know, it's interesting in the 2020 postseason. I think we sort of hit this cap with Kuzma where like, he was not really that playable against Denver and Miami. And like, there is a level of player who can get you through the first couple of rounds, but when the going, like when you get to the final four, it's harder to slot them in. And um, I didn't think he was nearly good enough in the conference finals or the finals. And then what was what was so fun about Kuzma during the first 80 LeBron year was that whenever one of them was out, he would come in and just like go full gunner, right? And he would put up like 25 points and be like, yeah, I, I could do this every night if you gave me the chance. And obviously he can't do that every night if you give him the chance because he was given the chance this year and that didn't happen. So I, I kind of think he's properly rated, right? Like his offensive game has regressed since he was a rookie. He's never shot the ball as well as he did that first season. I think that was just a... He was like, I remember he was like one of the five most efficient ISO players as a rookie, which was just, it's crazy. Um, He put up like 40 points in three quarters against Pistons once it was nuts. Um, But I don't think that he's an efficient offensive player. Um, I do think he's added a good deal of value on the defensive end. Like he was solid wing defender rebounds well, well, but like the Lakers need some creation. And for whatever reason, Kyle has like lost that ability on the offensive end. And I've come to the belief that like anybody can defend pretty decently in a Frank Vogel system. So I'm not giving him all that much credit on that end. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of think he's properly rated. Like it, it's, it's unfortunate because like there was much higher expectations for him, even though he was a 27 pick just cause that like phenomenal summer league. And then the way he came out gangbusters during that rookie year, but he, he just is a very one dimensional offensive player now. Like he doesn't shoot the ball. Well, he just, he doesn't have that craft around the rim that he used to. I don't really know where it went. Like those are the kind of things that like shouldn't have gone away, but yeah, I think we're pretty clear with what, with what Kuzma is. And like, if other teams like him, so be it. But like, I don't think there's this untapped star potential here or even that much more than what we saw the last two seasons. The point about his defense under Vogel, I guess I didn't give enough consideration because I look at at three years and 39 million and the final years of player option for another team that maybe has enough, creators to where they don't need Kuzma to come in and, and put the ball on the deck. You might actually appreciate that. He's, you know, put himself in more of a niche offensive role, like the nets as an example, like you're not, you don't need Kyle. You don't want Kyle Kuzma to handle the ball if you're Brooklyn. So maybe a team like that would see that. I just think the number is fine. And it like, I was seeing deals thrown out where like teams were getting off, like taking on Kuzma so that they could get off bad salary and being spun as doing the Lakers a favor. And so I almost feel like perception of hit is veered too far towards negative because he was too, you know, pumped up as a guy who was playing for the Lakers. And again, because of what he did during his rookie season, as you mentioned, I like the idea of him going back to the nets where he was originally drafted, I guess, <laughs> um, part of the, the D'Angelo Russell trade. But yeah, I mean, if like the, the Kuzma didn't, what do you think obviously makes a lot of sense for both sides? Anthony Davis after what a decade or so in the league has said that he is ready to play more center. Do you one buy it? And two, is it an oversimplification for people like myself to say that his aversion to playing the five was stupid in the first place? I just, I can't wrap. I've asked and I have asked scouts whether I'm being like, like stupid ass talking head here. And a lot of them have said no. And but I'm just curious, smart basketball person like yourself, like what your interpretation is of one, him saying that and two, his aversion to it in the first place. Have you seen Space Jam yet? Uh, no okay do i need to um, see space jam no no just, uh, 
it, I think Anthony Davis is playing the five in Space Jam, which is why I bring it up. Like maybe this is a, a tune shift, you know, that we're, we're I'll having. I'll put a spoilers with, alert in there because that'll here. shock people. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's unclear to me, though, because Neko Gumke is also in it. She kind of toggles between the four and the five. So I haven't quite figured out positionally what they're doing yet. But um, something to keep in mind. Anyway, uh, you know, I... I love the idea of Anthony Davis being able to play the four and like when the Lakers switch, he's still there to play backline defense, or if he's out on the perimeter, then he's the one that's immediately leaking out and jump starting the transition offense. Like, I think there was a valid reason to play him at the four during the regular season. Then obviously he switched to the five more often during the playoffs. I mean, the Lakers, like Dwight Howard got an exceptional amount of credit for the defense he played on Jokic in the conference finals. And I think that was wildly overblown because during go time of those series, that series, it was always Anthony Davis at the five on Jokic. And like, yeah, AD couldn't really guard him, but who could really guard Jokic? Like, I think we've seen that that's not really a thing that happens provided his entire starting backcourt is not injured. But like, I I don't think that the whole, like AD needs to play five during the regular season is like an actual thing. Like he could play it for, he played what 40% of his minutes at the five, his first year with the Lakers. And obviously 10% last year was far too little. Um, but I think that some of that was just because what are we classifying Montrez Harrell as, you know, um, is he a center? Is he not a center? Yeah. <laughs> one of those things. Um, but the, the problem with the Lakers wasn't that Anthony Davis wasn't playing five. It was just that the rest of their perimeter rotation, like sucked, you know, and I don't think that that was because they, didn't have the space to attack because Anthony wasn't playing the five. I think it was just because, you know, their center rotation wasn't as good as it was last year. Like for all of the jokes we make about JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, like they were much more effective in their roles than what Andre Drummond and Montrezl Harrell and even Marcus Aldo were asked to do. So I think the Lakers problems are a lot more nuanced than, Oh yeah. Anthony Davis should just play his best position and get it over with. Like he'll, he'll do it during the playoffs. We've seen it. It's not a problem. Right. Um, I, I also just like, like, He's so like fragile, you know, and I, I don't want him to have to deal with that during the regular season of having to play center all the time. So yeah, I, I kind of lean on the, yeah, 80 should probably play five more than he was during the regular season. Like 10% is just way too low for his minutes total at the five, but I'm not of the belief that like you need to go into a season starting Anthony Davis at your at center and like, just make him do it because I don't think that exactly solves the Lakers problems either. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I guess where I fall on it is just, it feels like it puts a cap on their offense if, if he's at the four, unless the right five is next to him, mm-hmm. which I thought that right five was Gasol. And I think there were minutes where it proved to be, but he Gasol became like a, a pariah among, like he was this year's Danny Green among Lakers Twitter. Exactly, yeah. I felt like, and I didn't understand that. I would have rather seen more Gasol AD than Harold AD. And I know those minutes ended up being fine during the regular season, um, but like, even when Drummond came in, like everyone was making fun of Gasol for pouting, but I was like, no, like, I, I kind of feel where he's coming from, from that front. So I think I don't mean to dilute it down that far, but that's where I'm at is I think it puts a cap on the Lakers offense. If he's playing the four that often, unless they change up their center rotation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I just think that Frank Vogel has shown time and time again, that he's going to prioritize their defense and their defense is better when Davis is at the four during the regular season. Um, I also agree with you that Marcus Hall is the kind of five who theoretically could bring out the best aspects of AD on both ends of the floor. But the problem is even when Marcus Hall was playing center and theoretically spacing the floor, like they never ran any pick and rolls with AD. So there's just like a lack of offensive ingenuity. I think that's also bringing the Lakers down a little bit, which is why I'm interested to see if like Fisdale changes that at all, or whoever they bring in on the assistant ranks, like, 
changes things up because I, I watch the Lakers a lot and I'm not, I'm not sure that they're optimizing their personnel. It's not so much that like they don't have the space to do it. It's just AD needs to be used in different ways. You mean um, AD in the pick and roll is better than AD like isoing from 18 feet away or <laughs> jacking up jumpers from eight, you know, outside just, the bubble, of course, because he was my goodness. He was like, what a, what a concept. <laughs> um, did anything glaring I missed on the Lakers that you think needs to be talked about? I think we're good. I mean, we spent a good solid 20 minutes on the Dennis Schroeder experience, which I think is what everyone is looking for when they talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. So um, yeah, good to go. Well, Sabrina, as normal, thank you so much for coming on. I do normally try and space out when I will ask you to come back, but I hope you allow me to pester you in the off season. Once all the moves are, are over, I always enjoy talking hoops with you. Listeners love it. Follow Sabrina on Twitter at Sabrina J M that's at S A B R E E N A J M does a fantastic job covering basketball, um, NBA, WNBA, all other stuff at, at SB Nation. Thanks once more for coming on. And as you know, and I just said, I'm definitely going to be pestering you again. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks, Dan.